everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hidden Gems, where we dive deeper into the streaming services that we all have. And we try to get you to look beyond the big name titles to some of the deeper cuts that they have on these streaming services. Today, we are talking about the Peacock service. This is our third episode, I believe, on the Peacock service. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner and Ryan is here. Hey, Rachel, so great to be back with you once again. And uh, it's spooky season. This is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, I don't know if you all can see on my bookshelf back there, uh, I let the Ooh. spiders run loose and I've got a bunch of spider webs all over my movies. That's going to be a mess to clean up later. But regardless, uh, I love this time of year and uh, I'm looking forward to this particular list because I got a lot of horror movies to talk about. Yeah. So uh it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going all out with the with the theming and the production design and everything. You've got the cobwebs back there. Oh yeah. I'm like John Hammond from Jurassic Park. Spare no expense. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, yeah. So the Peacock Network, I mean, I feel like it, it started kind of rough and it seems like it's been doing a little bit better. They got the uh, the Harry Potter movies. So that was kind of a big, they stole those away from HBO Max. Um, so, but then they lost Jurassic Park. So I, it's, a, I feel like you just have to sort of be subscribed to all of these because you just never know where or you have your own physical media. Either that or you could just buy physical media. Yeah. <laughs> own your own Jurassic Park and Harry Potter. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, because they, they're just ever moving all over the place. It's so weird. Yeah, but I think Peacock is like slowly and subtly doing a pretty good job with the stuff that they have. Uh, when I was when I was looking at picks for this week, I was I I piece together a bit of a theme which I haven't done in a very long time like mm -hmm. when we were just doing Disney plus I was like okay I'll pick like a particular decade and I'll pull something out of there but this time around I was like I brought that back because in the past I was like okay I don't really need a theme per se just like stuff is obscure but yeah. now it was like I found enough obscure ones where like these all kind of work in their own like way they all tied together really nicely it's yeah. like everything is in its right place mm -hmm. so props to uh props to peacock because yeah. they're uh, they're doing something right and the service is probably more well known for the television series that they have and you know things like parks and rec and stuff like that uh that you know they're they're popular shows uh but uh and they're going to be getting the office soon and uh, so they're probably more known for that, but they do have a pretty good movie list and they have a wide variety of eras, a lot of classics, a lot of, uh, but then a lot of newer films, stuff from the eighties all over the place. So it's really interesting. So I think I have, we have a pretty, I have a pretty interesting grouping and you have, like you said, kind of a theme. So it's, it's, it's going to be cool. So let us know as you're listening, what you've been watching on Peacock. We'd love to hear your uh, suggestions. And so I'll start this time. So my first pick is Charade. And Charade is, uh, is stars Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. 
And this is one of the last movies that Cary Grant made. This was in 1963. And he was really concerned because he was a lot older than Audrey Hepburn. Uh, I think I have like 15, 20, like a lot older than her. Um, but they kind of work that into the script and make it funny. Uh, and it's basically about this uh, woman who... Uh, whose husband has been murdered and uh and so she uh she finds out that her husband had this whole sort of secret life and uh the there's this uh agent who is assigned to kind of protect her but is he who he says he is in Cary Grant and there's lots of reveals and clues and it's really fun uh it's start it's directed by stanley don donnan who does a really good job making it quick and quippy and fun and and uh so yeah it's a uh, it's kind of got the feel of a hitchcock kind of like to catch a thief i think is probably somewhat similar to it uh and uh, yeah have you ever seen this no, I always heard about it and I was under the impression that this was a Hitchcock movie because Cary Grant was in like four or five of them in his career. At least Cary Grant was in a lot of a lot of Hitchcock movies. So mm-hmm. when you're describing it to me, I'm like, this must be Hitchcock. But no, it was Stanley Donnan. But uh what but I was I was thinking about it and Cary Grant appeared in the Philadelphia story with Catherine Hepburn. And in this movie, he's with Audrey Hepburn. So it's like He's with two generations of Hepburns throughout his career. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. And uh, he, like I said, he was feeling kind of old in this one. Like, this is one of the last movies he did. And uh, he, he, they make a lot of kind of jokes about that. Like, oh, I'm an old man or whatever. But, uh, but he's, you know, great as always. And she's great as always. And uh, it's just... I don't know. It's a fun comedy mystery. If people like something, it's not as much mystery in the same way as Knives Out, but if people like that kind of feel, a kind of a light comedic take on a mystery, then people should check this out. I mean, it's similar to the, like I said, To Catch a Thief or North by Northwest, as some of that same feel, sort of the innocent person being caught up in, in this, uh, in this cat and mouse chase kind of a feel to it so it's it, i think people will really enjoy it walter math Matthau is in it i i'm a big walter Matthau guy he's mm-hmm. so he's a great comedic actor but he could also he could also pull off the dramatic stuff too. see the taking the original the taking of pelham 123 if mm-hmm. you want a good example of that which i recommended in our hoopla yeah. episode yeah and uh, so what is your first pick? So my first pick is from 1951 and it is and it is Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Uh, like I said, this was released in 1951 and this was this was a part of the unofficial quadrilogy of Abbott and Costello running into universal monsters. It was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Uh, Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man, and the fourth one, it's, I think it was, I can't remember if it was The Thing or if it was just It, or, I I know there was a fourth one, and it's escaping me at the minute, but it was a quadrilogy, and they were all directed by the same guy, Charles Lamont, and 
Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, I mean, it pretty much goes without saying they were two of the funniest men who ever lived, in my opinion. They were a great duo together. Uh, Bud Abbott was one of the best straight men in comedy history. And Lou Costello was just, he was just amazing at comedic timing. And you would think that Abbott and Costello and the Universal Monsters wouldn't work, but somehow they do. And out of all of those movies, I think The Invisible Man is my favorite. Uh, there are many scenes with The Invisible Man doing things with, with Costello, like, like aping him and mocking like his movements. And the comedic timing is just, it's just incredible. Like all of you watching, if you watch just one scene from this movie, watch the boxing match. I'm just gonna leave it at that because mm. it is absolutely, it is absolutely hysterical. Uh, the Invisible Man in this movie is not played by Vincent Price. It's played by an actor named Arthur Franz or Franz. I've heard both. But I mean, given Vincent Price's pedigree, I would have loved to have seen what would have been done with Abbott Costello and Vincent Price. That would have been just made for a chef's kiss worthy uh, mixture right there. But I love all of the uh, Abbott Costello meat movies, but like I said, out of all of them, this is my favorite. Yeah, I mean, of course, Abigail are the best, but I have never seen any of these meat movies. So that's really interesting. If I do, we do a follow-up, maybe I'll have to check one of them out. I mean, I've heard of them, but I've always felt like, oh, that's such a weird mixture. Is it, does it work? And so that's interesting to hear that it does, it holds up. Yeah, it shouldn't work, but it's kind of like Santana and Rob Thomas. It just works. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but um, one actual final note before we do move on. In Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, these were the final appearances of Bela Lugosi and Lon Chaney Jr. in the Universal, oh. uh, in their fam most famous personas as Dracula and the Wolfman. And uh, after that, they would never play those roles again. I think with the exception of maybe a couple of smaller appearances, but that was their last movie. So a pr pretty significant footnote in my opinion. Yeah, that's really interesting. All right, well, mine is very different than that, but really fun. Um, so I have, he's just not that into you. This was 2009 and this movie has really bad Rotten Tomato scores, Letterboxd, everybody hates it, thinks it's horrible. So I'm in the minority that I like this movie. And, and you know, I, lo I love rom-coms for the most part. So maybe it's just part of that. I don't know. It's, uh, it's based on this self-help book, which I really liked, uh, uh, the, um, the, the same name. And they, they told all these different love stories. Uh, and uh, some of them are about, you know, breaking up and some of them are about getting together and some of them are about longer couples and some of them are about you know all these different couples and for the most part i'd say like i think about 80 percent of them work and are compelling um and i i don't think that the bradley cooper a scarlett johansson one is not my favorite um that's probably my least favorite uh, actually <laughs> uh but um but I like Jennifer Aniston and Ben Affleck. I think they are good. I like uh, Jennifer Goodwin and uh, Justin Long. I think they're good. Uh, I I don't know. I just 
enjoy it. I think it's a fun, uh, fun movie. And I don't understand why, you know, people hate it quite as much as they do. Like, I, I understand if it's not your favorite, but I don't know. To me, it doesn't seem very hateable. It seems perfectly harmless, you know, a little rom-com. Uh, the, um, the Kevin Connolly one, and he kind of has a Scarlett Johansson um, plot, but I like Drew Barrymore in it. She's really funny. She does a whole, probably the, the best writing of the whole movie is when Drew Barrymore is talking about getting rejected on all these different <laughs> devices on these technologies. She's like, used to have one phone and <laughs> you knew that people would, that people could call you on in one answer machine, leave a message. But now you have to just be constantly checking all these devices, all these different things, just to be rejected by 12 different technologies. And I'm like, that's so true. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Jennifer Connelly, she's good in this, I think. Uh, I don't know. So I don't understand why people dislike it as much as they do. I like it. I think it's fun. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, and I say this as someone who would who did this from time to time, but I think people look down look their nose down upon rom coms sometimes. They don't take yeah. them too terribly seriously. I say this because I'm like, here's the metaphorical hand on the Bible. <laughs> I did it once or twice myself. I'm not afraid to admit that. I, th I think especially rom coms that that are kind of feminine in feel or really kind of trying to talk to women. I think those are especially uh, that, that they're often very tough on them. And if there's sort of a more masculine feel to it, like a Judd Apatow movie or brides, you know, something like bridesmaids or whatever that, um, uh, or train wreck or something like that. I think that they tend to be a little bit kinder, softer on them, you know, so the more R rated, uh, movies um and you know people can like whatever they like and that's fine but i don't know i just uh i i do think that they are often very tough on romantic comedies and i mean some of the best of the of the genre have pretty low like the fact that uh, you've got mail as a 62 percent is just absolutely ridiculous <laughs> it's one of the best romantic comedies ever made in my opinion yeah, anyway you've got mail hmm it's not Orson Welles. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not You've Got Mail level, but I still think it's cute. I think it's entertaining. So uh, yeah, uh, what do you have next? So my next pick is from 1935 and it is part one of my unofficial Bela Lugosi uh, double feature. I didn't plan this, but when I was looking through the movies, I was like, oh, that's, oh, I've seen that. I love that. And then, oh, I've seen that. And I also love that. And they both feature prominently Bale Lugosi in movies that are not Dracula. So I didn't plan it out, but that's a deja vu of what I did on the last Peacock episode with John Goodman. So, so there's oh, a bit nice. of a trend. Yeah. So the first part of the duology is The Raven. Uh, this is based off of the legendary poem by Edgar Allan Poe, one of the one of the greatest poems ever written and it and it tells a story of a doctor named doctor and i'm going to try and get this right volin that's about as close as i'm going to get uh he's a doctor he's very good at his job he saves the life of a rather rich woman but then she ends up uh, but then she ends up 
but then she ends up dying in an automobile accident and then he goes completely off the rails and subjecting people to his rooms full of traps. Uh, he hires a henchman who is played by Boris Karloff, uh, famously Frankenstein's monster and Imhotep from the original Mummy, among others, and disfigures his face to the point where like the right side of his face is like lolling off like this. I'm not doing it justice, but just, but just for all of you on video, it just his face is like lolling off to the side. And I recommend this movie because I think Bela Lugosi is, a f is like, he's great in Dracula, but I think he also has a lot of other great performances that many people don't know about or haven't gotten out of their way to see. Like, he had a legendary career that lasted for like three or four decades. Like, even before Dracula, he was in a movie called White Zombie, which was one of the first zombie movies ever made, actually. It was the year after Frank, or it was the year after Dracula. Hmm. My brain works. And uh, <laughs> the same year as the old Dark House. And he would also be in another Edgar Allan Poe movie, Murders in the Room Morgue. And just, he had a lot of great performances. He was incredibly, he was an incredibly sinister person on camera. But especially in The Raven, like he is just a cruel human being. Like he, like he comes up with some pretty, inventive traps like watching this back for this video for this for this podcast i was saying to myself i wonder if lee winnell and james wan watched this when they were thinking of saw because it's like the two are kind of the same this was a movie made in the mid-30s so it's not incredibly gory and there's not a ton of like like elaborate kills because that was what it was at the time but there are definitely more than their fair share of like Oh boy, like like those kind of moments, like hand over mouth kind of moments. That sounds really good. I I have never seen so many of these uh, Universal monster movies. I I actually bought a whole collection last year, and I still have yet to. I need to see them. Uh, and uh, but they they are they. I, I did watch the Invisible Man before the new movie, and I really enjoyed it. And I was surprised at how well it actually held up. That not like I was expecting you to kind of appreciate it maybe on a camp level, you know, because of the the changing effects and different things like that. But it, it's amazing how they actually like hold up on a real level a lot of times these movies. So that sounds interesting, and especially the Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, it's, it's such a good, it's so quoth the raven, you know, never, and all that. Nevermore. And just yeah. a bit of a note for everybody, this, the raven version I'm mentioning is on Peacock. This is the correct one. There are a few other versions of the raven. There was one that was released in the 60s with Peter Lorre, Vincent Price, and Boris Karloff again. And then there was one released in the early 2010s with John Cusack and Brendan Gleeson, I believe. Like, mm -hmm like watch those ones if you want but the correct version and the best version is the Bela Lugosi one cool that sounds great all right well my next pick is a shout out to voice actors that uh, they are so uh unsung in the uh, in the world of uh movies and it's called it's a documentary called I Know That Voice and it's it's really is just a chance to celebrate voice actors 
and it has i mean everyone that you could imagine uh this was 2013 so they had people that have now passed on like june foray uh but they have hank azaria they have jess harnell they've got uh um, jim cummings um just anybody who you uh tara strong anybody who you've heard of for voice acting or haven't heard of bill farmer the voice of goofy's on there just everybody it's really fun and i for somebody if you love animation then you definitely need to watch this video in this movie and if you just love movie making and uh then you should watch this movie because it's just it's a really really important a part of movie making that they never get their day in the sun and here is their day <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah i was i was looking over the cast of this uh of this movie because i i had never heard of it and i was like oh like this is a movie about voice actors i need to watch this because i agree voice actors don't get the credit that they deserve we know the famous ones you know like mark hamill as joker and a bunch of other of other ones but yeah. I, I really do believe that they need to get more attention. Uh, on the cast list, though, one, one person stood out to me, and that was a man named D. Bradley Baker, who has had, like, too many credits to his name. But I've always known him as the voice of literally all the clone troopers in Star Wars The Clone Wars, the television show, because all of the clones are, well clones and if they ever need a voice they'd be like hey d we've got some work for you and he would voice captain rex and commander cody and what i love about the clone wars tv show brief side road is that they actually turn the clones into real people despite the fact that well they're clones and without yeah. d bradley baker they wouldn't be as interesting like they would just be you know just random soldiers so give all the credit in the world to mr baker yeah, exactly. And they have um, James Arnold Taylor is on, who's a big Star Wars um, vocal guy. Uh, and uh, they, it's just amazing that the, the, the characters they're able to create and uh, the work that they're able to do and uh, something I really, really admire. If, if we ever have Comic-Cons again, which we'll see, but if we ever do, there is this really funny... Thing that the uh, the voice actors will do where they uh, they I forget what it's called uh, but they um, they will read a script and but they all assign the different voice actors to different characters not like they'll do Harry Potter but they'll have say Jim Cummings doing Harry in the voice of Winnie the Pooh you know, and so it's all mixed up and it is so funny. And it's so incredible to see someone like Jim Cummings that just can flip and flip and flip and flip in, in, the, in the midst of one conversation. He can do four different voices without, without missing a beat. It's really pretty incredible. Now I'm just thinking about what Winnie the Pooh and Harry Potter would be like. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's really fun. Because then they'll have like the whole crux honey. Yeah, they'll have like Winnie the Pooh as Harry Potter, and then like, I don't know, uh one of the Powerpuff girls as least as a Hermione, or you know, just they they mix it all up and that's what makes it funny. So 
if you ever get a chance to see that you should it's really good uh, but um but anyway this is a fun documentary uh that uh if you if you like movies you should check it out so what are you up next so my next choice is from 1939, 39. Uh, it's from 1939 and it is called Son of Frankenstein. This is the third Frankenstein movie. There would be many, but this is the third one. This, this is the one after Bride of Frankenstein. And, and in Son of Frankenstein, well, it tells a story of the son of Henry Frankenstein. He's played by Basil Rathbone, who had a long career, probably most known as Guy Gisborne in The Adventures of Robin Hood, and would play Sherlock Holmes in like 10 or 11 movies. Like, he's so good as Sherlock Holmes. He, he is real. He's really good and he is great in this movie. And he plays the son of, of Henry Frankenstein. And he returns to Frankenstein's cat, the Frankenstein castle. And he finds all of his father's old science and even his old assistants named Igor played by Bela Lugosi in one of his very best roles. And Igor is like, Hey, you're a Frankenstein. It's time for you to build a monster. And, and, he and he being Frankenstein's son doesn't want to do it and he's even like oh do you want me to just find one of my fathers or do you want me to just whip one up and he's just he's getting really mad about it but then he's like all right fine I'll do it and he ends up creating well Frankenstein's monster again played again by Boris Karloff and when it comes to third movies in a horror series they tend to not be very good but in the case of Son of Frankenstein, I'd argue that it's just as good as Bride of Frankenstein. It's got, it's carried by three excellent performances from Basil Rathbone, from Lionel Atwill, who was a veteran of the, of the Universal Monster movies, playing various like smaller roles in all these movies. And Bela Lugosi is of course amazing. Uh, Igor is essentially his henchman. He was, he was originally supposed to be hung by the neck until he died but he didn't die so his head like lolls off like this and he has a he has a raspy voice mm. and he's and he's like he was hunting <laughs> and because Bela Lugosi is Hungarian and he has a Hungarian voice like it creates for a it creates for a pretty memorable voice I'll say that I won't go so far as to say that this is as good as like Bride of Frankenstein or the first Frankenstein it's a bit of a step down, but I see all three of these movies as equals. Like they're both, they're both, they're all three equally excellent. Cool. Yeah. I have not seen any of them. So I am, this is a hole in my movie, uh, movie watching. And this is a blind, big old blind spot. So I need to add these when I do my blind spot. Uh, so I need to add a couple Universal Monster movies with my uh, when I do Blind Spot series next year uh, because I am behind when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to them. But but I, but I think uh, I think they can be a lot of fun. So all right, well, very good. So my next pick is uh, is a pretty scary movie for young young ones, young kids. Um, we have Monster House. And this is actually coming, I think they're doing a Fathom event that's coming back into theaters uh, because I, I believe that they're having an anniversary of some kind. 
uh, this, uh, this year. And I think it might be 15 years uh, that uh, it's, um, uh, yeah, it's all, I'm looking in my, in my theaters uh, and it's playing all over the place. So yeah, it came out in 2006. It was actually nominated for an Oscar. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty scary. It's about these uh, kids that start spying on their neighbor who has this super scary house and uh the they they start kind of poking around and it turns out that the house may actually be a monster and not just a house a scary house and it actually goes like some deep places by the end that you're not expecting uh the animation is not the best it's that uh it's that motion capture animation uh i don't hate it as much as some people do but it's still it's not my favorite kind of animation um but uh but that is a barrier for some people with this film but uh but yeah it's uh it's it's an entertaining entertaining movie uh it's uh it, it gets pretty scary yeah this is uh this is one of my favorites to watch around this time of the year uh, I saw this movie in theaters. I would think I was arguably a little too young. I was born in 97, so I would have been yeah. I would have been nine. So yeah, yeah, I was a little I was a little young for this one. But still at the end of the day, it's become a tradition of mine. So I guess I guess it's stuck with me in a positive way. But a, a note about the animation, this was around the time because this movie was produced by Robert Zemeckis, and we all know who he is, Back to the Future and all that. But in the, in the 2000s, he was in this weird mocap phase of his career. He, he made Beowulf, which is a ride. It's a dizzying ride, but it's a ride. Uh, he made the mocap version of A Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey. By the way, watch our best and worst of Jim Carrey on this channel. And, uh, and he, also, um, he also made The Polar Express. And in terms of Monster House, which is a movie that he produced, it wasn't even directed by him. It was directed by Gil Kennan. I think that this animation is better than a lot of the mocap movies that Robert Zemeckis was directly involved with. Yeah, I mean, and it fits it a little bit better than uh, than because it, than some of these other films because it's it's a little bit more a little more whimsical, I would say than something like Christmas Carol, even though Christmas Carol does have its fantasy elements. Uh, it's a, uh, when you have like, you're supposed to have, I mean, they do have the kids in this, but I don't know. The whole thing just has more of a sense of whimsy than Christmas Carol uh, does. Uh, and Polar Express does have its own share of whimsy, but I don't know. I just feel like it fits this style a little bit better than either of those movies. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the design of this house is just truly like one of the scariest houses I've seen in a movie. Like props to the creative team for thinking of this one because I was walking out of there like, I'm not going to look at my neighbor's houses the same way ever again. <laughs> yeah, well, and just the idea, it's kind of like a rear window kind of a feel, you know, like you start out kind of spying on your neighbors and then you don't all you don't like what you're seeing and then what are you going to do about it and then you just get kind of starts out as this sort of innocent diversion and then it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and then what you find out about the man and and the house like i said is pretty dark 
Yeah, yeah. and uh, and I I got to give this uh, I got to give Gil Kennan and all of them props because this movie is shown on Nickelodeon like almost every year around this time, and Nickelodeon is meant for kids. So mm-hmm. to give to give like a darker tone like type of kids movie like out there it was a risk but i thought it was a very worthwhile risk yeah agreed uh so what do you have next so my next choice and this is walking the tightrope of a hidden gem but it's the 2005 version of king kong from director peter jackson now before i go any further this movie is too long i will be the first to say that they spend way too much time on that damn boat. But when they get yeah. off the boat, that's when it gets interesting. That's what I and agree. I actually would recommend to people to just start it there. Exactly. Just and, start it there. And I will give all the credit in the world to Peter Jackson. He made the version of King Kong that he wanted to make. Like flaws aside, like he was a legitimate King Kong fan and wanted to do a version of his own. And he he didn't try to he didn't try to make anything other than his own. He had his own homages to the original, and I do think that the original is the superior version. But even still, this version does have a lot of strengths. Naomi Watts far better than Fay Ray. I'm just gonna say that right here and now. She is a far more well-defined character. I can't hate any movie with Jack Black in it. He is just he is so cool at all the things that he does. Adrian Brody's kind of, I prefer Robert Cartwright personally. And whenever I see Andy Serkis in any movie that's not like as Gollum or in any of his mocap roles, it's just so weird to me. Like, that's Andy Serkis? That's his actual face? And it is just like, wow, (laughs) it's so weird. But again, I will say this and I will say it. This is a very flawed version of King Kong. But I do admire the craft that was put in, the story that Peter Jackson was trying to tell. And at the end of the day, I do think it is a very worthwhile remake. Yeah, I agree. I think, again, if you start at the when they get to the island, I think it's actually pretty entertaining. And I mean, I love this, the story of King Kong and, and the heart of it and, and that this, uh, this, the way that we treat things that are, uh, unknown or unfamiliar and uh the way that what happens when he gets to the to gets out, off of the island and the way that he's treated as this prisoner and it's just really sad and uh so i i really i, I love the 1933 king kong so much um but the, you know this one is definitely worth watching i think yeah all right well my last pick is a romantic comedy called prime and this movie is pretty steamy (laughs) just it's pg-13 but it's a pretty hard pg-13 just a warning to my hallmarkies friends uh but i still really enjoy it it's uh it's about uh meryl streak she plays this therapist and she is working with this woman uh played by uma thurman who i think is supposed to be like nearing 30 i mean nearing 40 if she is 40 anyway and she starts dating this young man in his 20s and uh, she's all talking in therapy about how like liberating it is and how great it is and how she's feeling so excited and then 
Meryl Streep finds out that it's her son who she's dating. And so now what is she going to do? And she's super awkward about it, but she's like done so much to help her. I mean, I'm sure this is highly unethical and everything like that, but in the world of this movie, it works. And uh, Brian Greenberg is plays her son and he is super dreamy, I think, in this movie. And I think Meryl Streep is super funny as she listens to Uma Thurman talk about being with her son. And and uh, I, I think it's one of the more humorous roles that Meryl's ever done, if you'd ask me. I think she's really funny in it. And I like Uma Thurman, she's beautiful. And so, I don't know, I like it. I think it's uh, underrated. It's a hidden gem, which is what we do. So just so I have this right, Meryl Streep is dating her son? No, Meryl Streep is the therapist and Uma Thurman is dating her son. Oh, I was going to say like, what dating. the heck is Rachel yeah. recommending here? And then- <laughs> dating, is, she's dating Meryl Streep's son, who's also shows, but Meryl Streep is her I, therapist. Shows what I get for listening. Now <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> no, it's a... Say, uh, uh, yeah, so she has to like listen to Uma Thurman talk about being with her son and how exhilarating it is, and she gets super awkward. And it's funny, I think. And uh, uh, so you know, it has something to say about age and beauty and dating and all of that. And so I like it, yeah, it's uh, I that. Uma Thurman is uh, is one of those actresses I love from movies like Pulp Fiction, but then she does something like Batman and Robin, and I'm just like, I know, like you need to fire your agent. <laughs> that tanked her career for so long; it's so sad. Uh, but I love her in Gattaca; she was amazing in that. Uh, she can be really good, and uh, and like yeah. so, you don't normally think of Meryl Streep as being particularly funny. But she, I think she's very funny in this. So, yeah, she's known for like the Kramer versus Kramers and the Sophie's Choices and all mm-hmm. these like big time actress-driven dramas. You know, not for comedy really. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, so, what's your last pick? So my last pick is called The Brides of Dracula. Uh, this is the sequel to the Horror of Dracula, which was the first Dracula movie released by Hammer Studios over in the UK. Uh, Hammer basically took the Universal Monsters and kind of, I don't want to say rebooted them, but remade them and brought them into the modern time, which means shooting them in color and making them far, like, far racier than what they had been, like upping the gore and the violence and all that. Uh, in Horror of Dracula, Christopher Lee played uh, played Dracula, and I think in many ways he's better than the Bela Lugosi version. In many ways, not all the ways, but in many ways. Uh, but at the end of that movie, he gets killed off. And so what are they going to do for a sequel? Well, turns out uh, in The Brides of Dracula, Dracula had a bit of a fan club, and one of them inherits his powers and becomes a vampire himself. And so... Uh, Dr. Van Helsing, played by Peter Cushing, it is brought in because he's like, all right, I took Dracula down once, let's do it again. And that's essentially what The Brides of Dracula is. Uh, I think the Hammer Dracula series is underrated. Like, even the ones that are very, like, kind of, like, down below, like, 
Dracula AD 1972 or the Satanic Rites of Dracula. I I do I do think that I do think that they're all pretty pretty fun to watch. And mm-hmm. even though Christopher Lee is not in this one, which is very sad, Peter Cushing is in there and he is absolutely he just kills it every single time. Peter Cushing is of course Grand Moff Tarkin in the original Star Wars, but similar to someone like a Bela Lugosi or a Boris Karloff. He had a long career before Star Wars and a little bit afterwards. Like Star Wars is what he's most known for being Peter Cushing, but he was like acting since like the early 20s, like like not early 20s, but the mid 20s. And he absolutely makes the Brides of Dracula work. He has full commitment to everything that he that he does. He treats Dracula like the apocalypse that he absolutely is. And he's like, if Dracula can pass on his powers to someone else, then we need to nip this thing in the bud right now. Uh, this would be more of a Christopher Lee franchise than a Peter Cushing franchise. But the few times Peter Cushing were, was in this franchise, like in the first one, this one, and in the later ones, he absolutely brings it. And the finale of this movie is worth watching alone. Like Hammer did their vampire battles very well. That's all I will say. But I just think in general, I think in general, Hammer is a very underrated studio and they're still going. They just did The Lodge earlier this year. So they're still kicking. But I think their prime years were like 1958 to 1973 or 74. And The Brides of Dracula is an underrated version or is an underrated movie in their canon. So does, does Dracula get married several times or is he married to... Is he like a polyg- is he a polygamist? I think it's best not to ask these <laughs> questions. It's just you just gotta go with the flow if, if you're going to enjoy this. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I think uh, the, the best explanation that I have come up with is that Dracula has corrupted several women, has bitten them, and they have become vampires, and they'll follow and do whatever he says. Okay. That's about as close to a logical explanation. <laughs> it's not the, the, the vampire sister wives, so that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I, I, you know, I have not seen any of those, and so that sounds really interesting. I'd like a good Dracula movie, uh, so... Uh, I, I mean, I love the Werner Herzog Dracula. I think that one's really fun. And so the ones that I've seen. So I'll definitely yeah. have to check some of these out one of these days. I'll have to, you have to remind me when we do a follow-up uh, one of these days. So that sounds yeah. really cool. If you all have not checked out The Horror of Dracula, I do recommend it. It's not on Peacock, unfortunately, but it is on another service. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Very good. All right. Well, just to go over my picks, I have Charade. He's just not not that into you. I know that voice, Monster House, and Prime. And I have Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man, the Raven, uh, Son of Frankenstein, King Kong 2005 style, and the Brides of Dracula. Very good. Well, let us know what you've been watching on Peacock and we'd love to hear in the comment section or on Twitter what you think of our picks uh, and uh, that would be really fun. And Ryan, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RyanCam20. 
And then of course, there's my YouTube channel, uh, Ryan Cam's Movie Reviews. Scary Mania is going full force throughout the month of October. Uh, today, we are recording this on October 12th, which means that my episode for Think Brain, Think, 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 Godzilla just dropped earlier this morning. And then tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about The Curse of Frankenstein, which was Hammer Studios' first horror movie they ever made in the start of their big golden run. And that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. I've covered everything from like the 1920s, the 30s, the 40s, just wrapped up the 50s, the, the B movies of the 50s, now going to dig into Hammer and then move on to the horror movies of the 60s like Rosemary's Baby and uh, Night of the Living Dead. And then of course the AFI project is still kicking up. Uh, I've got Midnight Cowboy coming up, uh, the Philadelphia story. So just a lot of content coming your way. And if, if you all haven't subscribed, I do highly recommend that you subscribe. You're going to be on the ground floor. Yeah, you should all definitely subscribe and make sure you're following me at Rachel's Reviews all over social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. Check that out. Uh, this week, I did my collab with Lee from Drum Dumbs. Uh, we were looking at Watcher in the Woods, and so that was really fun. And so make sure to check that out. And also, we have our female film critics speak out panel this week, where I had Shannon McGrew and Amy Martinez uh, on the show to talk about their experiences in horror film and uh, film critique world and so that was really fun so lots of good stuff going on we also at hallmarkies podcast we are doing tons of exciting stuff we are in christmas season now uh, and this week is our our hallmark channel christmas preview show where we give our our preview for every single of the upcoming films so you definitely want to check that out if you are a hallmark fan so thanks so much and we'll see you all next week bye everyone bye